What's up, Eichner fans? A little while back, Parley Cycles filed for bankruptcy protection and seemed like just another big brand suffering the consequences of the pandemic's boom and bust. But now they're back with a new owner, new ideas, and fresh funding. My guest today is John Harrison, a longtime Parley fan and tech turnaround guy that saw an opportunity to breathe new life into the legendary Drop Bar company. We talk about what led to Parley's bankruptcy, what they learned from it, and more importantly, where the brand is headed and what new bikes are on the horizon. It's a great chat, and if you're a fan of the brand like I am, it's definitely a big sigh of relief to see what they're building, a company that's focused on smart growth and continuing their heritage of premium bikes and forward-thinking designs. Please welcome John Harrison. Listeners of this podcast can get a free heart rate monitor with purchase of a Carew 2. Visit hammerhead.io and use promo code BIKEROOMER at checkout to get yours today. Hey, John, welcome to the Bike Rumor Show. Oh, fantastic, Tyler. Thanks for having me. Yeah, sure. So I guess, you know, a lot of people listening are probably familiar with the Parley brand and at some level. And we're going to get into where that brand is today and what what's happened to it over the last few years. But uh, probably nobody has heard of John Harrison in regards to Parley. So maybe we should start with who you are and how you got involved with the the legendary bike brand. Uh, thanks. You know, it's it's a it's a Wonderful and like most stories, a long one. But uh, but the short form is, you know, I've I've ridden a Parley for years. Love riding. Been an avid cyclist myself for as long as I can remember. Got introduced to Bob and Isabel Parley, the owners and original founders of Parley. Recently, understood about uh, you know some challenging times that they'd had during COVID. And as we we got to know each other, got started chatting and. You know, realized that uh, Parley needed a little bit of help with uh, with getting the business running, and those were great matches with uh, with my background and skill. So we've decided to come together. I've acquired the uh, the business and the brand, and uh, will be the uh, CEO of the business uh, going forward. So, what is your background? Like, what what skill sets did you bring to the table that you think you're going to make this work? Outside the bike industry, but uh, and mostly in tech. But I think a lot of the skills that I've developed there port right over. A lot of the work that I've been doing has really been focused on taking smaller businesses that are mostly founder-run and taking them through growth cycles and figuring out how to scale that business up, figuring out what they do really well, lean into those things, you know, work on some of the operational components of the business, make them more efficient, lean into sales and marketing. So my background really has been a been a bit of a blend, but really all on growing small businesses. Yeah, and uh, and so you know here at Parley, we've got some work to do on the operations side. We've got some improvements we can make on efficiencies in the organization through things like even more effective inventory control and and smarter, better ways to build uh, build cool product. And uh, and I think also leaning into the dealer channel around the world is going to be important for us. And those are all things I've done really my my whole professional life. Cool. Yeah, I you know it's 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 hard sometimes for founders to kind of have that that skill set, right? Like a lot of us start a company just because we have a cool idea, or we're good at making something right, or envisioning something. And once you get to a certain point, scaling it beyond that by managing a team and looking at sales channels and logistics and supply chains and all that, it, it can be overwhelming really quickly. And and if somebody's not willing to kind of bring in the talent that's necessary to 
make that happen, it can really stunt the growth of the company and, and lead to problems down the road. Um, I know, you know, Envy brought in Sarah Lehman and she kind of did what she did for a little bit, same same role, and it's turned out pretty good for them so far. Um, so I'm excited to see what you're going to bring to the table with Parley because I love the brand and I love the bikes. Yeah, thanks, Tyler. I, I'm I'm amazingly excited, and and I think the the setup that we have is kind of ideal. Bob's staying on board. You know, Bob Parley is going to continue to to be chief product designer for us. He's going to continue to you know focus on the art and magic. That's where this all started. You spoke about you know where these businesses start from. Bob's a both an artist and engineer. You know, did some of the most amazing leading sort of cutting edge stuff with uh, with carbon fiber in the early days. And so he can continue to focus on that, continue to focus on his art, continue to build amazing product, and leave me to kind of deal with the back-end stuff and uh, just help make sure that the business runs well. So he gets to keep doing the fun stuff. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Nice. I mean, we, we've, and we've had so much fun getting to know each other over the last few months. I think we get on great, and I think it's... Uh, it's really kind of a perfect relationship for both of us. I think it's, uh, it's just come at a great time. Yeah. So let's step back in time just a short while. And I think we were, you know, a little bit surprised. And I definitely, I called Tom Rohde, who has been with Parley for a long time. And I've known him for many, many years. And the second we got that little announcement that Parley was filing for bankruptcy, you know, just saying, what's, what's going on? You know, please tell me you're not going away. And so, yeah, what happened? Yeah, you know, it's unfortunately uh, a too common of a story. You know, I think we've we've seen this elsewhere in, in industry and particularly the bike industry, you know, right at the start of COVID, a huge pop in demand, a huge order book, the biggest, you know, influx of orders and business that uh, the Parley Cycles have had in its 20 years of history. And that drives a, a huge overhead for the organization, placing orders on on back-end suppliers and trying to coordinate all the components and equipment and staff and resources required to fulfill that uh, that market demand that's there. And then followed up by factory slowdowns, shutdowns around the world that led to um, you know a lack of components being available. And then the the drip of components being being made available, but not having all of the components required to make whole bikes um, and get them out in the hand of customers. So, you know, over the period of two and a half years or, you know, two years, really, there was a good long period of having plenty of frames, but not enough drivetrains or plenty of drivetrains and not enough handlebars or, you know, whatever the mix was of the day. But it drove a, a, a lot of capital need for the business to service that, those inbound orders um, for vendors. And uh, and then, of course, like we all know, you know, the market ground to a halt. People stopped buying bikes. People went back to work. Um, a lot of those orders that were uh, still backlogged um, on our end were canceled. Folks were had moved on, bought something else, or or just gone back to work and uh, and made a different decision. So we've never, you know, we, we weren't taking orders for by uh, or sorry, we weren't taking deposits for those orders. Um, obviously, during that time, we wouldn't want to do that. So yeah, it was just uh, a, a rough period of significant capital demand for the business and just not quite enough runway to uh, to see it through. Yeah, I imagine. I mean, and there was a lot of brands that were in that position, and a lot of them are still figuring out how to come out of that position where they had a lot. And for people who don't know, I mean, we've all heard the stories, right? As cyclists, you know, as 
you couldn't get a you couldn't get a bike and then you could get any bike you wanted for probably a deal and um mm-hmm. but there was a lot of brands that had everything ready to go except like the chain right and they couldn't send yeah. a bike because they didn't have one tiny little part i mean i've heard some some brands holding up stuff because there was like a couple of bolts they couldn't get and it was just so yeah so you're sitting on this bike and this drivetrain and this cockpit and everything else that you've wheels and tires that you've paid for but you can't sell mm-hmm. it to your customer and get your money yet so yeah it was it was definitely tough so I, i'm curious you know from your experience and we all hope that the pandemic and what happened is a, a once in a lifetime thing for all of us in the industry. But had you been in charge of Parley at the outset, you know, what do you think you would have done differently to kind of smooth things over a little bit? You know, it's 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 easy to sit and um, you know make smarter decisions in hindsight, right? Um, the benefit we all have of of sitting here with our current knowledge and and being able to think we could have done better in the past. And I and the truth is, I don't know that I could have. I think the the team here made the best decisions they could with the information they had at the time. Now, given hindsight, um, I'd like to think that I would have said, "Slow everything down. Let's maintain a consistent pace." Let's put some contingencies on orders that we're placing back to uh, to vendors. You know, let's perhaps bind the orders that we are confident of delivering with deposits or something else. You know, there, there had to be. I think it was a tough time for all of us, and uh, and I mean that just as as people. It was a tough time, a long period of uncertainty, and so I think uh, I certainly don't want to put any judgment on the folks who made those decisions in the day. I think. Uh, I'd love to think I could have made a different decision, but maybe not, you know? Yeah, We're you don't human. know what you don't know, and it's it's hard to guess how you would have reacted when, you know, like all of a sudden you have more orders than you've ever had in your life, and you don't know what to do with and You're so excited, right? You're just like, yeah, bring yeah. it all. Let's do it. Let's of go. Of course, let's do it. Uh, you know, partly for people who aren't super familiar with the brand, they have rolled their own carbon tubes and made a lot of carbon parts in-house for since the get-go and, you know, made complete bikes in-house and then... Over the years, they developed a couple of models that were made in Asia. So you guys are in a position, unlike a lot of brands, where it's either all domestically produced or all outsourced to Asia. You guys have a mix of products. Some are stock geometry, some are custom. Do you, do you feel like that saved you in any way? Or did it just make things even worse that now you had to worry about sourcing raw carbon and bikes? No, I, you know, the, the custom bike business continued pretty solid. We had a lot, a lot more control over that piece of the business we were still you know subjected to challenges with drivetrains and the other you know uh, third-party components that need to go on those bikes but uh, but certainly having a, a mix of you know frames that we could manufacture in-house versus needing to source from uh, from overseas was uh, um, was a blessing unfortunately not quite a uh, sufficient of a blessing but uh, but certainly a help yeah. So uh, I want to talk, you know, a little later in the episode, we'll talk about kind of where Parley's going and, you know, what models are staying, coming, going. Um, but from a a business standpoint, you're coming in presumably with some capital to kind of get things going again. I don't want to assume anything, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, like where where is that capital going to be applied now? And like, how, what are the steps to kind of get this thing back off the ground and on solid footing again? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. My real focus right now is new product development. We're excitedly working on some pretty amazing new projects that 
I can't wait to talk about. Today's not the day for that, but uh, I'm still going to um, ask you. But but... <laughs> uh, of course, you will. I will. <laughs> I will have some fun. But you know, there's uh, uh, and that you know those that early stage of R and D for new products is expensive, and so that's something that I've immediately written checks for. We're fully committed to. We're moving faster in that area than we have done in 20 years. Nice. So I'm absolutely thrilled for that. Certainly, we've got some work to do leaning into marketing and just generating additional awareness for the brand. You know, I think Parley have always made amazing bikes um, and perhaps relied a little bit on just build great products and they will come um, approach, which has worked very well for us for 20 years. But I think to really drive uh, broader adoption and broader awareness for the brand is uh, it's time. You know, I think it's time to tell people what we do and and show off the amazing bikes that we've been making here for a long time. So uh, we'll be doing more of that. And you'll see us lean into programs that improve the operational efficiency of our organization, but with a very particular focus on removing friction points with our dealers. You know, we want that experience for our dealers to be as efficient and smooth as possible so that they can provide the most effective service to the customer who's looking to buy a bike. And so, you know, I think there's a lot that we can be doing as an organization to pull down any walls that exist between us and the dealers, provide much greater insight into inventory and flexibility, queue up custom paint jobs, and uh, and be able to interact with our team on a lot more dynamic basis. So, you know, there's a that's technology, it's infrastructure, it's people. And so I think that's really the big third bucket of investment for us. Nice. Yeah, at one point, and maybe still partly had their own custom paint shop in-house. Is that still working or have you outsourced that? No, it's all, it's all in-house. And it's uh, it's an amazing part of the business, you know. I I, I got my bike custom painted, and it was it, it's an amazing experience, you know. Um, we'll connect a customer directly with one of the designers here. We'll work with them on a hand, you know, one to one basis. To sit in a Zoom call like this, look at colors, talk to you about your ideas. What's your inspiration for your bike? Where do you want this thing to go? What do you want it to look like? We'll strategize and work through a design process, send you back some drawings that you can take a look at and, and get a handle on. And, and once you're ready and decided that that's, uh, that's your bike, we'll send it downstairs. And there's a pretty amazing team of artists on the, the bottom floor of the building here that uh, have all of our paint booths and all our paint equipment in-house and turn out just some really incredible works. Really amazing. Cool. I know a lot of brands are starting to offer Cerakote as an option, which is a pretty incredible product. Is that Have you guys played with that at all? I believe so, but I don't know any of the details of the work that the team's done. So I couldn't really speak to it, but I believe that, uh, that it's in the queue. Right on. Good. I hope so. It is pretty cool. Um, so, you know, you mentioned a lot about growing the operations to support the dealer network. And I wanted to ask you if part of the growth plan was to, had you considered going consumer direct, but it sounds like no. <laughs> you know, the, the the thought crosses anybody's mind that looks at the bike industry and the financials of the bike industry. But the at the end of the day, I just don't think it makes sense today. You know, if you look at who we are as a brand, we're very much focused on fit, right? We're highly customizable, fit-oriented bikes. 
And and I think that a, a buyer of a parley wants a connection with uh, with their local cycling community if they don't have already. They want to um, connect with with bike shops and service folks that are in their local towns that build and manage community. And so I see us leaning much more heavily into dealer network growth and into work in our business that can help promote some some profit for the dealers. I mean, we need all of it. You know, this is a symbiotic industry. We all need each other to uh, to have good, solid businesses, make money, and support each other. And I think there's more that we can be doing as a brand to lean into improving that experience and driving optimization there. So the short summary of that is we're not going D2C. We're not selling direct to consumer. We're 100% committed to the channel and will be for the foreseeable future. Right. And we're making investments to try and make that as optimal as possible. Hey, real quick, this episode is sponsored by Hammerhead. Power, speed, and cadence are all pretty standard these days. But what if your bike computer could predict upcoming gradient changes or find you a cafe or campsite along your route? The Hammerhead Karoo 2's free global maps with points of interest, full-color touchscreen, and advanced GPS routing let you see the road ahead. And their climber mode shows upcoming climbs and gradient with or without a route loaded. Check it out at hammerhead.io and use promo code BIKERUMOR to get a free heart rate monitor with purchase of the Karoo 2. Just add both to your cart and use that code to get this exclusive offer just for our listeners. Yeah, I, I know the Parley's I've test ridden, you know, Tom's run me through. And actually, I even went and got a fit one time to to go through the proper processes, though, you know, a regular customer oh, would and stuff. So yeah, it is. I mean, it's been that way for a long, long time. Um, and I, I feel like, you know, maybe part of it's the pricing of Parley's, which, you know, they've always been a very premium brand, premium product um, with a premium price that that type of customer expects a little bit more of a, a boutique kind of handheld process to go through and, mm-hmm. and feel like somebody's paying attention to their every little whim. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it makes sense. Yeah, and I th- you know, we, we've, over the years, obviously, you know, I think Parley's very, very well known for its very, you know, high-end, fully custom, custom geometry, custom sizing, custom paint. Really, we'll build your dream bike and we'll make it by hand with some amazing people here in house. And that's really sort of our Z series bikes. You know, what we refer to as our stock bikes, you know, we have a an aero road bike, a, you know, a gravel or all road bike. Those bikes are a little bit more cost accessible for folks. They're, they're in at a lower point. They're, they're still very, very nice bikes and priced yeah, accordingly. I've ridden both of them and they are really, really good bikes. But, uh, but, you know, in that space, we've still really focused on, on customization. You know, our dealers will select a bar size that suits you, a stem size that suits you, crank size that fits you, a, a, you know, a seat post setback that suits you, you know, customize a saddle for you. Make sure that all your touch points are optimized for the best possible ride experience on the bike. And we can do that even with the stock bikes. Yes, the, the functional geometry doesn't change, but we've designed those bikes to be as flexible as possible with a ton of overlap in the applicability of sizes. So, you know, between a, you know, how many of us have been, you know, sit between a medium and a large, for example, right? And we're, you know, well, maybe I'm a medium in this brand, maybe I'm a large in this brand. You know, for us, um, those sizes overlap quite a lot because of how we've designed the geometry of the bikes. And the idea is there to give the most possible fit 
options for somebody with slightly shorter arms, or slightly longer torso to be able to make one of the stock bikes work well for them. Yeah. And I think one of the ways you do that is kind of multiple top caps for the headset that are sort of nested into the frame where one can be really flat, like a slam that stem style, and then others that raise up a little bit so that if you are, say, a, a shorter torso or something and you need a shorter reach and shorter you know, top tube length, you can bring the front end up a little bit so that you're, you don't feel cramped, but you're still getting the right kind of body position that you want. And then the bike doesn't need like 40 millimeters of headset spacers and look ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. And that's always been a, a, a big part of our sort of secret sauce, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, slightly taller on the front end that we can really drop down and for somebody who wants a real slammed riding position, but be able to get up a little bit higher for a more comfortable seating position without needing, you know, a, a stack, you know, three inches of spacers on the, uh, on the front of the bike. So still ending up with something that looks superb and uh and gives a, a nice aggressive look but still keeping a little bit more comfort in the in the ride yeah cool so let's talk about the future of parley you know you talked about a lot of product development and um uh, let's just start with you know what you have now like what's going to stay in the line what might go what's what's going to change yeah so right now we have our z series bike um called z zero which is our full custom bike made right here in Massachusetts that is available in road option and a uh, our XD uh, a gravel version. So those bikes are very similar uh, frame structures, slightly different layups, give a different ride experience, but available both in road and gravel alternatives. We then have a, uh, a gravel bike called a Chabaco named after um, some uh, woods uh, nearby us and, uh, and, an, and an awful gravel road. Um, it used to be uh, pitted like crazy and was the nemesis of riders um, in the area. And, uh, and so we sort of took that on as a mental challenge, built a bike that would be comfortable even on the most uh, rough roads possible and, uh, and some nice woods riding. So that's our Chewbacca, um gravel slash all-road bike. A lot of people are putting road wheels on the Chewbacca, riding it as a road bike. It's great geometry for that. We then have our RZ7, which is an aero road bike. Um, it's been hugely successful for us for five years or so um, in the market. All four of those bikes, um, the two custom and the two stock bikes, will continue going forward. I think you have a, a stock just road road bike as well, right? We have in the past, oh, okay. um, and that's something that has naturally come into life during this COVID period, you know, and I'm sure it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out that that's probably a gap we'd be very happy to fill. So, uh, you know, watch this space. We do today have the RZ7, which is a slightly more aero configured road bike. Yeah, which I like. And and. To, to be honest, you know, when I posted that review, we got a you know, mix of comments about the looks of it. I Personally, I think mm. it's a gorgeous bike, but it is a very distinct looking aero road bike for sure. Yeah, I think it's aged really well. You know, I think if you looked at that bike five years ago, it did look a little gnarly um, at the time. It was a pretty forward looking design concept, I think, at the time. But if you look at it now and put it up against competitors in the market, I don't think it looks quite as wild. And I think, you know, I don't want to say the industry sort of adopted some of those design principles, but I think you, you see some more commonality today in the RZ7's signature looks 
with some other stuff that you're seeing around in the market and on the tours today. Yeah. So it's, but it's, it is a little bit more of an aggressive looking bike, but still very comfortable ride. You know, it's, it's a lot less intimidating to ride than it looks. <laughs> Fast as hell. Amazing bike to ride. Yeah. I enjoyed it a lot. It was one of those ones I was trying to get Tom to just let me hang on to it for indefinitely. And <laughs> sadly, you needed it back. Tyler. Um, <laughs> the, uh, and then you, you have or had a time trial triathlon bike that was also pretty wild at the time. I think it was the first bike I remember anyway that introduced like fairings, like brake, disc brake cover fairings, because it was one of the mm-hmm. first TT bikes out with disc brakes as well. Yeah, we won a ton of awards for that uh, for that design. You know, Eurobike and just just a ton of uh, wonderful acclaim for that bike. That's sort of come to the end of its life now. We haven't formally announced end of life for that, but you can expect to see that from us before the end of the year. Here, um, we're running down the last of uh, last of the inventory on that bike, and and expect that we'll take a breather before uh, before reintroducing or refreshing that model. It seems like in terms of where the opportunities are that a, a TT bike or a triathlon bike like that are, it's got to be a very small percentage of your sales. It is. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's, uh, it has been very high value for the brand because a lot of the time those, uh, those bikes are featured in fairly high visibility locations. And, uh, and so it's a good representation for the brand. It's a good opportunity for us to push engineering boundaries. And, uh, and learn a lot from those designs that we can then trickle down into other models. It's like your F1 program, right? <laughs> Ultimately, from a sales perspective, it's a bit like the sports car in the car manufacturer's lineup, right? It's, and it's, uh, it's not really where the money is. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, let's, let's talk. I'm curious what the, the R and D that you mentioned that you guys are doing and pouring some resources into that. I know you, you make the carbon parts there for some of the bikes. Do you do the, do you make the molds as well? Or like what sort of, like where are those R&D dollars going? Are you trying to increase the capabilities in-house or just simply develop more new stuff at once? Bit of both. You know, we've got, we make some molds in-house. We've got a, a great local contractor who uh, uh, who produces frame, uh, larger molds for us and has done for a while for some of the more complex pieces. We have uh, a custom way that we sort of, manage the molds in the manufacturing process with some uh, liners um, inside the mold structure that's proprietary that we continue to do in-house to get uh, the sort of look and finish um, of the bikes. And, you know, we've got some equipment upgrades that we can provide there to continue pushing more volume, being able to do more creative shapes, um, be able to push more uh, flexibility on uh, geometry configurations. So, you know, I think that um, equipment and infrastructure refresh here um, is important, and I think will allow us to be a little bit more creative with the look and feel of the fully custom bikes that we're producing in house. Those have always had a very uh, sort of timeless classic design to them, and I think that that's important. I think it's a signature of Parley. That said. I think there's an opportunity for us to express a little more creativity there and allow that uh, creativity to come through in the manufacturing process. So we're investing in some infrastructure to support that. Yeah, certainly we're uh, certainly we're continuing to invest heavily in um, just new product development. I think is uh, it's fair to say I think that we've got some opportunities both to address gaps in our own lineup and to refresh some models 
and take advantage of uh, of more current market trends more effectively. Really, just give our customers what they need and make sure that we're we're building planning far enough ahead to build on a schedule that meets our customers where they're going to be a couple of years from now. Right, and that means we need to be uh, need to be writing some checks today. <laughs> Yeah, that's how it works, isn't it? it? How's the interest level for mountain biking? Can we? Do you think we'll ever see like a Parley mountain bike, and and even more so, like anything beyond just a, a simple hardtail? You know, I'd say never say never. You know, I've uh, learned that lesson before in my life, but <laughs> I, I I would say that you know I I think we've got an amazing legacy in drop bar bikes and that design principle. I think. That's what Parley is known for, and certainly in the near term, what we expect to continue to be fully committed to. You know, you may see the occasional, you know, flat bar appear on a on a you know on a gravel bike frame. You know, as we get more and more aggressive on uh, gravel bar design. Oh, sorry, gravel bike design. So certainly, that's something you can expect to see from us. But full mountain bike, I don't think it's on the radar right now. Yeah. What about e-bikes? You know, I think there's a huge opportunity for e-bikes. It's such a, an interesting segment. Right now, I think the market is really trying to figure out what the right application of the technology is today and trying to figure out how we package it appropriate for the correct rider experience. I would say that if you look at a lot of Parley riders, I think there's, there's a good segment of our customer base that wants to continue to be able to ride with their friends on a Saturday and isn't, you know, would be delighted to have a little help keeping up or be able to have a little extra juice to get up, uh, get up a a, a large climb. It's not everybody, but there is, um, I think, a valid segment of our customer base that could benefit from the advances in those technologies. So I think it's something that we continue to look at, investigate, and uh, and look forward to finding the right application of new tech there. It's still pretty clunky today. I mean, you know, the tech's improving every season, leaps and bounds. But I think that, you know, most e-bike offerings today are fairly compromised. Um, and, uh, and I'd like... As Parley looked to enter that market in the future, I'd like to just push the envelope and uh, and do something more aggressive there. And I think until we can until we can do something that we're really really proud of, I think we're going to wait. Cool. Yeah, I'd like to see you guys push the envelope too. I think there's a few out there that are doing some some really sleek integrations, but they tend to be uh, the brands that have the resources to be able to do something fully custom, and you know those those yeah. take deep pockets. Um, the the mix of products I'm kind of curious about, you know, and not so much category like road versus gravel versus whatever, but the, you know, you have the stock items that are made in Asia and then you have the custom items made there in Massachusetts. How do you see that mix changing? You know, as you ramp up marketing, do you see the scale uh, or the, the, the custom side growing more or the, you know, kind of ready to ride side growing more? I think we'll probably see, you know, longer term rather than sort of like next 12 months, longer term, I think we'll see a larger growth out of the stock bike side. Near term, I think we're going to see a ton of growth out of our custom, but because you know, I think there's an, an enormous opportunity there for us um, today. But grander scheme and sort of more strategically as we're thinking about the business and as we're planning the business, custom continues to be a very, very important part of our brand and our identity. Um, we'll continue to lean into that. 
but it is a relatively finite market size. I think as we look at the stock bike, we have some opportunities for a broader portfolio mix that I think should drive higher numbers uh, across the yeah, well, clearly you need a stock road bike now. So, um, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll I'll let the guys know you said that, Tyler. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the so as far as Bob's participation goes, um, you know, and I love Bob. This is not in any way a knock, but it's it might sound bad at first, but you know he's he's been at it for a while, and sometimes you see companies where the founders have been doing what they do for a long time, and they're very set in their ways. Parley is a little bit of a legacy brand, and is it like? Is he or is the team there able to kind of push through, you know, more aggressive modern geometries and tire clearance and all these things to to deliver the kinds of bikes that you say, like, you know, a rider is going to want four years from now? Or do you feel like there's some challenges in kind of advancing the brand into the into, you know, 2030? What, what a great question. It's it's been it's funny where we're, um, you know, just sort of right here at the cusp of this transition and, and me stepping in the role. But the reality is I've been working with the team here at Parley for a couple months already and and helping support the decisions that we've been making. And it's been it's been really fun to see how Bob and the rest of the design team have interacted and how, you know, the the I think we've come up with better solutions by being able to for Bob and I to be able to counter and banter a little bit back and forth. And to be able to create an environment where the broader design team have a voice in that process um, and and feel like they're really being heard. So I think that the general feeling inside is uh, inside the business is one of really high energy and huge optimism and enthusiasm for uh, for where we're going and the ability to to sort of get some dreams built and uh, and really get. Uh, uh, get back to something a little more cutting edge. You know, Bob continues to be a very, very important part of this business and will continue to be forever. You know, it's, uh, and I want the business to continue to have his signature on it. However, I think that there are some things that we can do to allow for, um, younger, more, uh, current voices to sort of help influence that process and help us sort of evolve what the brand means um, and how we represent that brand in market. So I think we want to stay true to where we've been, but uh, be a little bit more aggressive in in evolving. Um, and uh, you know, if you look at if you looked at where Parley was ten years ago, we were very very much on the forefront of innovation. We were leading the the entire industry in terms of introduction of new technologies, introduction and um, and driving the adoption of new standards. And a lot of those were uh, Bob's baby. I mean, those, those came from him. So I think you've, you've, you're looking at somebody who loves progress, loves innovation, loves, loves to see the, the brand evolve. And I think for us to give everybody a voice and help realize those things is going to be, going to be positive. Yeah. What's he excited about right now? Uh, I think Bob's excited for a lot of things. I'd love for you to uh, to chat with him. And you, you'll you'll have to schedule some time with him again soon, Tyler. But uh, we've got him. Uh, we've kind of got him locked in the basement right now, working <laughs> on uh, working on some secret stuff. So we're uh, uh, we're keeping him happy and keep, keep keeping him fed and uh, um, and building some cool stuff. So awesome. we'll uh, we'll talk some more about that soon. 
Yeah, I can't wait to see it. So last question is, you guys have done some cockpit parts in the past as well to complement your bikes. The handlebars, I think, are fantastic. Um, stem, and I think a seat post as well. Is that is that stuff going to stay in the line or was that kind of stuff becoming a bit of a distraction? No, I, I think they're important for us. I mean, I think that they give our customers a much more integrated experience on our bikes. And I think, you know, uh, and I think that there's a very valid market for it. Um, so I think you can absolutely continue to see those offerings available from us. You know, like small volume custom parts, they, you know, they may not be as cost competitive as some off the shelf components that, uh, that you may be able to source. But I see us being able to offer really all of our bikes with a, with a blend of either more, uh, you know, in inverted commas, basic components as well as more highly integrated parley components and allowing a customer to choose what fits their uh, their style and their budget more effectively. Very cool. Well, I appreciate the the intel on parley. Glad to see you guys are back in action and, you know, best of luck and, yeah, keep us posted on anything new. Can't wait for it, Tyler. We're going to have some fun stuff here to ride, so we'll uh, we'll have to get you out, out here to Beverly Mass again soon and, uh, and enjoy a ride. Heck yeah, anytime. Thanks. If you like this episode and have a product or tech you're curious about, head over to bikerumor.com slash podcast and fill in the form to submit your idea. You'll also find links and photos for this episode there, plus a link to this and every other episode we've ever recorded. If you really like this and want more, hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and leave us a rating and review. That's the grease that keeps our wheels spinning over here in podcast land, and it helps us keep getting amazing guests for you. You can find us on social. We're at Bike Rumor on all the things. And if you like random entrepreneurship, NFT, Web3, cycling stuff, you'll find me at Tyler Benedict on all the social channels. Thanks for listening. Until next time, keep the rubber side down.